0: Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty.
1: You know, they have, often have multi-stems. Sometimes there's several stems or trunks coming from the base. And yet we all still have this image in our minds eye of a tree, like how, like how a young child would draw a tree. Everybody I know that's been to a a giant sequoia forest or a coast redwood forest or some of the big old eucalypt forests, it puts them in their little, like, makes you realize where you sit in the world. It's often life-changing. I was blind to trees, yet I was a horticulturist. And I think that's the first bit, is we sort of need to get people to see trees.
0: Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian.
2: And I'm Sophia.
0: And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers.
2: This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode…
1: I think trees are just a big example of woody plants, you know, they're, they're obvious, they're, they're, they makes it a lot easier for people to get those concepts across. But then there's the, uh, the benefits of trees, you know, they're this idea that in the world it's great when I hear teachers te- getting young kids to understand how the trees are cooling their environment, providing ecosystem services and habitat for not just the big obvious things, like be they birds and, and the bigger, bigger
2: He has walked past this grove of eucalypts probably hundreds of times, but something different catches his eye this morning. It's probably nothing new, or even particularly remarkable, there's just something interesting about how the sun is illuminating the canopy branches. This is a snapshot of a typical day for arborist Ian Allen who spends much of his time bushwalking throughout the Greater Blue Mountains World Heritage Wilderness Area in New South Wales, Australia. As part of his role as supervisor of natural areas, arboriculture and open space at the Blue Mountains Botanic Garden, Mount Toma, he manages over 200 hectares of forest. Ian joined our Ian to discuss the many lessons we can learn from trees, common tree misconceptions and an upcoming project being done in partnership with a local First Nation.
0: In dynamic ecosystems, trees often represent stability. And despite being inanimate, there's lots happening in a tree's life, as a lot of books have been illuminating in recent times. What are some standout happenings in the lives of trees in your botanic garden?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm a, yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious I'm a, I'm a tree person. I love trees. I'm a bit obsessed yeah. <laughs> with them. Um, and, you know, one of the things is that trees trees are so long lived, like um, the majority of trees, they, they, they live a lot longer than us. Um, you know, many of us don't even have a good frame of references to the time frames that trees live, you know, hundreds and hundreds mm-hmm. of years. And the question sort of takes me back to a, a chapter in a Sand County Almanac by Aldo yep. Leopold.
0: It's on the shelf. Um,
1: and and unfortunately, it's it, unfortunately, it's a chapter about cutting down a tree, but it's so beautiful in that it just marks as the as the Sawyer goes through the 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 growth rings of this great old oak, it just marks the passing of time right through one side of the tree and out the other. And all these moments in time where that everything from birds roosting in the trees, you know storms, snow great snowstorms and wind events and weather events um, affecting the tree and and i always think about that i always think about that when i look at these great old trees and you think what has that tree seen um, what's that tree felt and i went through a big period where i didn't want to anthropomorphize trees but mm-hmm. more and more now i am I'm, I'm going back into that because i think that's one of the best ways to connect people with trees and to a trained arborist and which i am you learn to study the trees and that they talk about the body language of trees and you can see these clues in the shape of the tree and the wood that it's put on in as to what it's experienced and more and more these days you're looking even for things like hints as to what's living in the tree you know that the ecosystem benefits the tree has and and in our botanic gardens we we have all those sorts of things We're we're relatively young botanic gardens yet the land that the botanic gardens on has some very very old trees some old eucalypts on it and yeah, you look up into these things and you just think, "Wow, that that tree has been here longer than white colonization of the land. It it it's had the Darug people, the First Nations people inhabit the land here, and that I'm sure they understood even more about those trees, you know. And and yeah, I guess that that big long life stuff. There's just so many things going on in a tree that, that that the tree has seen, and, and it always excites me and makes me think.
0: You mentioned about anthropomorphizing, and this is something that I'm just always fascinated by. And my background is in nature interpretation and teaching through the land and through nature. And this was always a discussion point with colleagues was to what extent, or should we anthropomorphize at all? And if so, to what extent should we do that? For you, is there a sweet spot in terms of bringing that anthropomorphism into it?
1: Yeah, I think I'm. I'm still trying to figure that sweet spot out. But but I guess for me, it's it's. I, I mean, I I like to have a science-backed position on mm-hmm. on how we think about the trees. You know, <clears throat> there's been a lot written lately, and some great books. Um, you know, the Hidden Life of Trees and things like that. But where perhaps it's a very easy to stray into into the idea of trees talking or or trees doing things that maybe aren't necessarily supported like plant sentience is is one of the hot topics that yeah. i mean you know it really really is a difficult thing and you i i still think the sweet spot is is using that human connection with trees um, where we can anthropomorphize them and, and get people to understand <clears throat> the technical and scientific sides in in human ways um and emotional ways but but yeah, when we start, I, I don't know, if I don't, still don't know if I'm okay with delving too far into the more esoteric and, and stretched out idea that the trees are just like us.
0: Yeah, I, I'm very much of the same mind. And I mean, on one hand, there's, say, the Ents from Lord of the Rings, which are very much sentient and can walk around. Yeah. And I'm certainly resistant to go in that direction, though when looking at communication and chemical signals, if it helps say kids understand, to say something like, in a manner of speaking, trees are sort of talking to each other. I'm okay to go to about that line. Is that sort of a line that you're comfortable with?
1: Yeah, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head. I think that's the best way, and it's the nuances of language that, that do that for us. Um, to just say it's flat out, the trees are talking. Um, but yeah, like they are communicating, and, and that is like talking. It's their, their version of that.
0: And speaking of human stories there's quite an interesting human story associated with eucalyptus Olsennie one that's quite personal to to you and your family so I'll let you have the floor to tell us that tale
1: yeah thanks thanks for bringing that up I, um, yeah like we all have these deeply personal connections with plants um and my my connection to that that tree in particular is that eucalyptus Olsenni is um, named after my uncle who his name was another Ian, Ian Olson, <laughs> And he he was a horticulturist and a landscape designer. And, and many, many years ago, long before I even was alive, he worked for the Royal Botanic Gardens in Sydney. And I'd always known in, in my story, like my mother had always mentioned that, you know, he was a, an avid bushwalker all over Australia. and You know, he's like me, very, very tall, made for walking. And he used to, on his travels, he would also... Knives everywhere he went and he'd collect plant specimens and he had friends who worked in the national herbarium of new south wales and you know he was just an absolute freak when it came to identifying plants and he my mom had said you know your uncle's got a eucalypt named after him and he'd found this what's i guess a bit of an like to to see it it's not an outstandingly amazing tree but deep in the in the bush down in the south coast of new south wales he'd come across this tree which I always used to think wow how do you how do you tell the difference between eucalypt there's eight up to 800 species of them To a lot of people they look all look the same and he'd seen this thing and said that's different and and upon growing it that we actually grow a specimen in the garden that I manage and it's got a very unique persistent fruit like the gum nuts on it are quite obvious to someone who knows knows their trees but yeah he'd found this thing and and sent us sent a press specimen to his friend in a herbarium and turned out it was a new species. And when I first started working at the Botanic Gardens a little over seven years ago, we we do a tour when we start of the national herbarium. And I said to the botanists in there, I was like, Oh, you know, this this species Eucalyptus ulcinii, like my uncle discovered it. Any chance you could bring me the the type specimens, and they were so kind. They brought out the box that contained these specimens and and in it were Hand-drawn maps of the area that he'd drawn, oh, and wow. um, yeah, it's it's amazing. I've actually still never been there. I was going to go on a on a, a, a very personal solo adventure into the bush a few years ago, but it was just before the the big Black Summer twenty nineteen fires right. in, in Australia, and and since then I haven't been able to go down there. I believe the area was was burnt quite badly in those bushfires. But I was just talking to a friend at work the other day, and he's like, "I can't believe you haven't been there." And, and it's, I think I'm going have to have to go this summer.
0: Yeah, well, summer is right around the corner for you in Australia as we approach winter here in Canada.
2: Yeah. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. After holding his gaze on the canopy for an extra few seconds, he continues along his way, but now with a heightened awareness of the early morning light and its enchanting effects.
0: So you spend a lot of time talking with people about trees. What are some recurring questions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll get the negative one out of the way. Unfortunately, as an arborist and, and even in the Botanic Gardens, so many people ask us about tree safety or you know can you make this tree safe or is that branch going to fall on my house and it's something we tackle a lot because it gets in the way of of people connecting and understanding trees better and you know it's this thing where it's a case-by-case basis of course as an arborist not all trees are safe um there's there's trees that have branches in them that could fail but but the risk is so incredibly low it's just it's so entrenched in in a lot of people's way of thinking. Um, you know, so many people think, oh, this tree's hanging over my house; it could fall on my my house, um, and so on and so forth. And it's it's a tricky one, and we really try to steer around it into the positive side about talking about the benefits of trees and those benefits far outweighing the risk. And and that in in our landscape there are just there's hundreds of thousands of trees in in an urban landscape, and they're everywhere, and the risk is so low that let's focus on the positives of trees because then you get into the good discussions and people will start asking how old the tree is, you know, why is it? the It's amazing how much people just don't know about trees, they're right yeah. down to simple, simple things about, about their leaves and about what they're doing and about how long they live, you know, and, and I think it's, it's exciting. It's kind of the how old is the tree? That's a, that's a really common one and it's, it's difficult. We, we had a sign on a big old eucalypt in our garden that used to say this tree is 300 years old, but nobody knew. Um, and in, in Australia, we, it, we often don't have the really strong seasonal changes in our climate. So we right. don't get counting growth rings, even on a, a core of, you know, you can use an increment or a device and take a core sample out of a tree and count, count growth rings. But on our eucalypts in particular, that it doesn't often match up. Because the trees put on different amounts of growth depending on how much rain they've had, and whether it's been drought. So even in one year, you could have three, and you just over a hundred years, it's not accurate at all. So the answer is often quite ambiguous, and then leads to more more questions, which is great. I just think it, it just the more questions that come, the more you get to engage with people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the biggest misconceptions?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I've touched on tree risk, but I, I won't go into that too much because you know like i said it's it's infinitesimally small the risk of being harmed by a tree yet often people i, I worked for someone who wouldn't let their kids sleep in the top floor room when there was a storm you know yet that tree was perfectly optimized and an amazing tree it wasn't ever likely to cause any issues but um but the the ones that are funny is like people still have the you know the carrot analogy of the roots like what is what is below ground in a tree is is Mm -hmm. a mirror of what is above ground. And you you see some great drawings on the internet, you know, people even have them in logos for arboriculture companies where they show this carrot-like root structure and, you know, trees roots on mass may equal the above ground mass, but below ground they're limited by the amount of oxygen in the soil, which is normally there's not much below 500 millimetres, a couple of feet. And, but yet they tend to spread out. The roots go far, far beyond the drip line. <laughs> I just did inverted commas there of the tree. And, you know, they, they can stretch out for hundreds of meters and microscopic little roots that you you wouldn't even be aware of in the ground if you if you dug a hole. So that's always a really cool one. And then I kind of find that the funny thing is that, that we still have this funny, uh, the lollipop vision of a tree. Um you know, <laughs> so one true. single one single straight stem with with a bunch of foliage up top and and trees just don't grow like that. Yeah, there are some species that have great form. There's a lot of conifers that have the have the triangle Christmas tree shape. But even then, you know, they have often have multi-stems. Sometimes there's several stems or trunks coming from the base. Yeah. And yet we all still have this image in our minds eye of a tree, like how like our how young child would draw a tree. And, and I love challenging that. There's some fantastic species that people want to look like that and they all want them pruned like that. But when you can get them to see how how wonderful multiple trunks and trees growing together rather than just one-off single trees can be a beautiful thing. So yeah, there's there's lots. There's lots of misconceptions. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the joys of the job is, is showing people the other side.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine that when those misconceptions are debunked, that people are quite impressed and it, it creates this lasting impression. I mean, what else have you found really sticks with people in terms of infield experiences with trees?
1: Yeah, I think I mentioned, touched on it slightly just earlier where I'm amazed how few people have truly come across big old trees. Yeah. Like um,
0: true old growth.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, of course that's our society. We've logged most of the big old forests all around the world, but there's still these amazing remnant trees out there. And, I mean you, you North America and Europe have trees in the urban landscape that are hundreds of years old. In Australia we sort of don't have that so much. But but then when you when you can show people just just truly what a big old tree looks like and then explain to them that the tree may be hundreds hundreds of years old, that's amazing. And when people are lucky enough to and privileged enough to be able to go to big old growth forests, it, it's humbling um it's really humbling like everybody i know that's been to a, a giant sequoia forest or a coast redwood forest um or some of the big old eucalypt forests it puts them in their little like makes you realize where you sit in the world um mm. but it's that's something where i think it's often life-changing people especially if you get to hug one of those trees and again that's where i my, my less scientific hippie side comes in hug the tree <laughs> um really really connect with it and yeah, I think that that's that leaves such a lasting impression on people But and then hopefully leads to them planting trees because, I mean, I still remember the first tree I planted as a little kid. Uh, it was an Arbor Day tree where, you know, they give schools these trees. And, yeah, I think it was an, an Acacia baliana, a Cootamundra wattle, which is an Australian native and fast-growing acacia. And, yeah, just I, I remember it. I remember it having this distinct feathery foliage in its juvenile leaves and um and then seeing it a few years later when i went back to that house with my parents to visit it and sort of being like wow I planted that Um, that must have been in the bicentennial for australia in 1988 so Ah. showing my age there but but a while (laughs) a while ago
0: hey it's ian i'm just letting you know that a subscription to green teacher also includes access to our massive and fast-growing archive of 500-plus ready-to-use activities, lesson plans, and articles. The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive too, and there are 125 of those and counting. To save you time, everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit.
2: There are only small patches of light hitting the forest floor in this more mature section of woods. Owing to a gentle breeze above, the dappled light dances across the leaf litter.
0: Switching to outdoor and environmental educators, which is our core listenership, how would you suggest that they incorporate trees into their teaching? I mean, obviously, trees are ubiquitous in most landscapes around the world, unless you're in more subarctic and Arctic-type landscapes. What would be some starting points that, that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, it's great that on, on, on the point that, the tr- that trees are ubiquitous in the landscape, they're such a great gateway mm. into, into plants, into, into conservation, into biology. And even into our urban landscape and, and discussions around, around sustainability and all of that. So I think there's sort of so many ways that that educators can bring te- trees in, whether it's with young children, um, getting them to understand, you know, to climb and engage with trees, to understand those really simple concepts about photosynthesis, whether it's whether it's biology and, and you know, the idea that the tree is, you know, drawing how, how evapotranspiration works and cools the environment. Um, and linking these great things into photosynthesis and the little machines in the leaves that are that are making energy, you know, taking the sun's light and mixing that with water and sugar, and you know, it's a, a really because they're just I think trees are just a big example of woody plants, you know, they're they're obvious, they're they makes it a lot easier for people to get those concepts across. But then there's the uh, the benefits of trees, you know, they're this idea that in the world it's great when I hear teachers getting young kids to understand how the trees are cooling their environment providing ecosystem services and habitat for not just the big obvious things like be they birds and, and the bigger bigger animals but right down through to fungi and then how trees fit in the ecosystem um i think that's you know it's sort of got it all again but trees just they're, they're this great vehicle for all of that and, and there's so many good resources out there for all of those things be it through botanic gardens, through arborists engaging with arboriculture is a a profession that's just constantly evolving at a really at a rate of knots, you know, whether it's the International Society of Arboriculture in North America um, and some other organizations that are just running really high level education for professionals. um, And those people are incredibly in tune. They're tree people to begin with and and then they'll talk to like they'll talk to any educator about trees for hours and they'll provide a wealth of resources and connections into that yeah so many ways
0: this is maybe a bit of a curveball but you mentioned that these are for people who are already interested in trees how do we get to and this is like i'm always toying with this you know how do we get to the uninitiated the people who maybe just don't give trees a passing glance i mean have you ever had experiences where you were able to i don't want to say convert someone but for lack of a better term that sort of is what we're talking about
1: yeah yeah i mean it's you know there's some a lot's been written in recent years about the concepts of plant blindness yes and and in particular tree blindness i mean even when my background was in in conventional horticulture and and an arborist that was a great teacher of arboriculture in in sydney and where i where i was studying and working at the time he said to my boss he's sort of we had him out consulting looking at some trees and he turned to me and said uh, you know I know you want to be a great horticulturist but how can you be a great horticulturist if you don't look up and he said you've got to come and study trees so I did and I was blind to trees yet I was a horticulturist and I think that's the first bit is we sort of need to get people to see trees you know they're, they're every you said they're they're ubiquitous in the landscape and they're doing all these wonderful things for us be that Providing shade, you know, even increasing the property value in their houses. There's a lot of people that they're not going to think in terms of, like, yeah, the plant people are preaching to the choir kind of things easy, like you said. Yeah. But the people that aren't engaged or, or don't see it, they, I think we need to try to find their language and make that connection and get, get them to understand in their terms. Some people, it's a purely economic thing. And some people, it's maybe an aesthetic thing. Some people, it's just they don't have time in their lives to, or the opportunity. Um you know there's a lot of disadvantaged people that from disadvantaged communities that just don't have trees in their environment. So planting trees with people, getting people to have opportunity to come and see amazing trees, to to facilitate places and spaces to have the conversations around them and then to get them to be able to hug them and make their own personal connections. I think that's that's always the starting point. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of tree people like me preaching.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's always easy to talk to a captive audience of people who already have that interest and you make a great point it's it's putting it into the language of other communities what resonates with them whether as you said it's economic or aesthetic and so on Hi there you might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now speaking of podcasts green teacher is involved in another one it's called earthy chats and you know what how about i let my co-host jade harvey barrel tell you the rest take it away jade
3: thanks ian hello all indeed we'd love for you to join us for earthy chats our new podcast, where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like Busy Bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks,
0: Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favourite podcast app.
2: causes to focus on the carpet of leaf litter and the remarkable network of roots beneath his feet. It's here where so much communication happens among trees and with fungi, and there's surely so much yet to be discovered.
0: Let's end with a mention of a project that you're really excited about, an upcoming project that's coming this spring and summer.
1: Okay i might push it a little bit and mention too just because one, one of them's uh, definitely a work in progress but it's something important to a lot of us in australia um, and that's our, our gardens is working on a first nations multi-naming process where we're looking at trying building out relationships with um, australian aboriginal communities and we we manage three gardens um there's the royal botanic garden sydney there's the, our australian botanic gardens in mount annan in western sydney which is our native garden. And then there's Mount Tomar Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens up in the Blue Mountains, just west of Sydney. And across those, our gardens sit on land that was traditionally owned by several different Aboriginal nations um, and and language groups. There's the Gadigal people in Sydney, and then the Darwil, Gundungurra and Darug people at Mount Annam, and then the Darug people up in the Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens. And, yeah, as we build our our relationships with community and work towards reconciliation with those people. We're trying to look at promoting their traditional nations for names of plants and, and on into our scientific naming conventions that we use to name the plants in the botanic gardens. And it's a, it's a really interesting thing and it's something that we're really excited. It will take time and we're, we're trying to make sure that the Dharu people have first say in how we do that. So, yeah, it might not be done by this summer, but it's really exciting. There might be some some wonderful trees, um, some eucalypts or and some, some great things up here where hopefully the Durham people will share their names for those plants and we'll be able to get those onto our labels and make this very symbolic and important gesture of doing that. So, yeah, that's something that's really exciting. But then uh, the other one is I've, I've just spent a week away at a conference um, down in Melbourne, which was the Botanic Gardens, international congress and and it was absolutely inspiring and, and there was some fantastic talks by some people from a global trees campaign which is run through botanic gardens conservation international some arboretum like morton arboretum in america and western bird arboretum in the uk and they've done this huge assessment of the state of tree species in the world. And, and there's some sad things that have come out of it, but they they're say, you know, a quarter of the world's tree species are facing extinction. But it was wow. really pragmatic. Then they've done all this wonderful work for botanic gardens to look at how we can best conserve species and, and prioritizing things for us. And um, the Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens was impacted by the 2019 black summer bushfires. And what bore the brunt of that in our collections were the North American tree collection. So, yeah, as as we clean up the damage from that and sort of we're redesigning and looking at our living collection and we had this sort of North American tree collection, but what we're hoping to do is work with the, the, the amazing work these scientists and, and arborists and all of that have done and look at how we can best rebuild our North American collection so that it's really valuable to the conservation of North American trees. And, yeah, that's just going to be really exciting. I mean, I actually... One of our my fellow arborists down at the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne had just imported some threatened oaks, a, a Southern California oak called Quercus engelmannii, and yeah. they grew those on from seed. And then when we left the the conference, yeah, he gave me four to bring back up. So I nursed these little babies, these sort of rare trees, on the plane with me, and I've just dropped them off in our nursery quarantine area today. So, and they're they're also really well suited to a changing climate. So we're going to get those out and hopefully. It's just the beginning of our collaborations with all these wonderful tree people around the world to to save and conserve more trees
0: wow that's that's really amazing are are there any i I hadn't thought to ask this, but are there any North American tree species that are naturalized in your area or even maybe growing in your botanic garden
1: yeah so we we don't we don't have too many that are naturalized we're we're actually in the middle of the world heritage wilderness area surrounded yes. by national parks on all sides We manage any weed escapees very carefully. But yeah, we're we're, our garden is a cool climate garden with a focus on trees and plants from around the world to make the most of our climate that we have here and, and sort of grow and conserve things that might be very difficult to grow in the rest of Australia. So our garden can actually provide a really fantastic sort of bio refuge for us to be able to um, secure the genetic material of things that are threatened from all around the world because we've sort of got this buffer of the national park around us we're up in a mountain range and then we're on an island that's very far away from the rest of the world being australia so yeah we've got some fantastic north american conifer species we've got a great collection of deciduous trees some of the rare ash trees so yeah it's 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 an amazing every time i go out in the garden i look up and see a tree that i've probably walked past a hundred times before and it's a new, it's new, all new to me so yeah, it's great
0: yeah that's the thing given the diversity of plants there is never a dull moment and we're very thankful for that well from one Ian to another thank you so much for sharing your stories and insights all about yeah, thanks, seeing the Ian. world through trees there's a lot we can learn from them if yeah. we just
2: pause and look
1: absolutely well thanks Ian I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat about trees
2: As he contemplates the awesome potential for further discovery, he is reminded that the finer workings of intricate root systems are so often overlooked, especially among laypeople. How best can he engage the uninitiated with this fascinating hidden world? Exploring this question will be his mission for the rest of the morning. He continues his bushwalk. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnessi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Perian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon.
1: facing an extinction crisis the the stuff we're talking about with tree conservation plant conservation educating the young people and old people about all this stuff it all ha- it's everybody's just as important in that as as each other and yeah thank you for all your work i couldn't do it i'll just talk at people about trees <laughs> hey,
0: there's there's a role for all of it <laughs> but thank you for the kind words really appreciate it and